morning, everybody. Good day, good evening, wherever you're listening at, checking us out at. Today's guest, Reverend Kirsten John Foy. How you doing, Reverend Foy? I'm doing well this morning. How's the family doing today? We're blessed, man. Hey, Everybody's hey. great. Everybody's great. You represent an organization here in New York called Arc of Justice. You've been doing work in the city and on the streets of New York long before uh, a lot of the more recent activism has been taking place, you know. I, luckily, I guess, and it's a blessing. I don't know. I'd love to hear your perspective on it. You know, activism is in vogue now. You know what I mean? Everybody want to talk about well, it now. Yes, sir. It's a, <laughs> it's, a flip, it's a flip of the script for sure. How does that feel for somebody like yourself that's been doing this work a long time? Uh, it's both a blessing and a curse. I mean, you spend your, your you spend the bulk of your time trying to engage people and bring them into the process. You try to inform the community and empower them with that information and with uh, a, a menu of, of action options. And and you try to guide and lead the community to a place that's gonna uh, that's gonna force uh, reform and transformation. And then you know you have all of a sudden you wake up and the whole world is banging on the door like let us in. And it's both a blessing and a curse because the masses have now awakened, but uh, to what end? To what degree? So you know with action and with activity with movement. You must have strategy. You must have uh, coordination. You must have uh, interaction. And, you know, the more people you have, the greater task that is. So it's both a blessing and a curse, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's about time America has woken up. Um, would you say that you come across a lot of new people to this conversation that think this is going to be fixed with, you know, one season, one protest, you know, one vote? Yeah. You know, one hat. One hashtag. <laughs> is that is that something that you come across? Absolutely. I mean, we have um, we have a lot of the, the 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 passion and the activism is bubbling up from the ground, it's bubbling up from you know younger activists, you know uh, uh, Gen Zers and millennials, some of the younger and Gen Xs that have woken up to certain realities, and with that bubbling up. Um, comes a lot of, of um, comes a lot of tension, comes a lot of new ideas, comes a lot of new approaches, um, and those things all have to gel. They all have to make sense. They all have to mesh, and they've got to do so um, with a specific set of goals in mind. And bringing and corralling everybody around a specific set of priorities that um, that that don't just speak to one issue, but speak to as many issues as possible is is necessary but this thing is not you know it's not five minute rice you know it's not five minute grits uh this takes time it takes time to build the momentum it takes time to set the strategy you know we can focus on dealing with one particular police incident or we can focus on dealing with one broken agency um but then you you you, you leave room for for other injustices to to surface, and you leave room for other injustices to manifest themselves, and they may, you know, they may not, they may not be the ones that everybody is emotionally affected by, but they could be just as dramatic and just as traumatic. So we've got to, you know, we've got to take a step back on the on the on the the um, action, but not on the intentionality and not on the energy. 
and figure out what the game plan is. We're not we're not going to do this overnight. Movements are not microwave ovens. You know what I'm saying? Movements are are souffles. It takes time to prepare the ingredients. It takes time to 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 bake the souffle, and it takes time to let it settle. And and everybody has to be part of that process. And in order to give everybody voice and to respect everybody's voice and to respect everybody's pain and position, that takes time. And time is a necessary ingredient to any movement, whether we're talking about a movement for justice, whether we're talking about a business, whether we're talking about pure politics, time is an an essential ingredient that cannot be, more time cannot be gained, but it certainly can be, can be wasted. Reverend, what about, we're talking about the, the positives and negatives of all the things we've seen, all the moment, momentum behind the social justice movements of the last year. How do you feel and what are the positive and positives and negatives of seeing these huge corporations seemingly seemingly wake up, make statements, make stances, make what appears to be efforts? How do you see the role of corporations who are now at least appearing to be aware and interested in finding remedies? I think it's time for for corporate America to wake up and invest in protecting its market. I think there's a place for every um, sector of our society. It's the place for the individual, the place for the family, the place for the community, uh, uh, the place for the government, and certainly a place for the private sector. The private sector exists on the back of consumers. They exist on the back of the people that make our society run and move and and grow. And when you have your marketplace subject to injustices, you have your marketplace, you have your consumer base subject to um, to consistent and systematic trauma, you are impacting your bottom line. And I, as I, I explained to uh, corporate leaders around the country, they have a moral obligation. That's true. Um, but they also have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to invest in their consumer base. And invest not just in marketing, but in protecting that base from bad policy, protecting that base from systemic racism and white supremacy and privilege, because those things actually impede your consumer base's ability to consume. And so when you are redirecting resources to defending your community against inhumanity and savagery, you're not spending those resources consuming products and services that are necessary and desired by that base. So it's in the corporate interest to protect the consumer base from these injustices and these um, traumatic uh, systemic um, uh, 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 racist um, institutions that are sucking the life out of their base and thereby impeding their ability to grow their uh, grow their bottom line and and um, and and increase the trajectory of their profits. So there's a there's a, a monetary and a fiduciary responsibility that uh, overlays the moral responsibility that corporate America has to protecting all of its consumer base and all of its marketplace. In this last voting cycle, uh, November through all of the the recounts and everything that went down at the end of 2020, um, you've been paying attention to this uh, for a long time and doing this work. Uh, what did you like about what you saw? Uh, I mean, I think what we disliked was pretty clear. You know, uh, the power of the black vote definitely caused the white mobs to attack yet again. Um, and that just go that's just a part of uh, American history. Every time black folks show our 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 um, 
our unity and our power, white mobs attack. Um, but it seemed like in this last voting cycle, black folks knew uh, and, and had set out on a path to get some results. Now, that's true. And we went with an intentionality and a purpose. Uh, and we went in it sober minded. You know, a lot of the a lot of the things as you say, we, we know what went wrong. But a lot of the things that we recognize as our past political behavior has been counterproductive, you know, just locking into one candidate, locking into one uh, party, locking into the traditional paradigms um, without 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 realistic expectations of what those paradigms are going to produce for us. I think in this past instance, we recognized that our basic survival was on the line. We mm -hmm. recognized that our humanity, the civil society was on the line. We recognized that we shouldn't have children in cages. We recognized that we shouldn't have um, uh, black people gunned down by law enforcement with impunity and a cheerleader in a White House. We recognized we shouldn't have a, a, a government that encourages uh, white supremacist violence against communities of color. We recognized these things and we recognized it was in our, in our self-interest to protect ourselves from this aggressive form of politics. And, uh, and we showed up and we showed out. You know, some of us were upset. We saw a little more um, uh, black men than we may have wanted to see supporting the other side. Um, but, you know, I don't begrudge that either because somebody has got to hold both sides accountable. And I don't believe that it was black men raising a, 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 a 45 flag out of pride. I think it was a, a check on the, the unfettered access that the other party had to our vote without reciprocity. And so I think now we have a more realistic expectation. We didn't expect to be saved by Biden. We're not looking to elect no. a messiah. We're looking to elect a president, and um, and we're gonna hold him accountable. Do you think, um, looking at Biden's plans, they're just plans. And this is another thing that I think in our as we evolve as voters, and the best thing that we can leave to the youth who are just now starting to vote is understanding that these are plans. And if we don't participate in our local government politics uh, via representatives and senators, those plans that a president have will not get pushed forward. Um, when you look at the plans that Biden has, um, have you seen anything in there that you feel uh, you think is very promising? So the first thing, uh, yes, the answer is yes. I think the, the, the initial thing we got to do as a nation, as a community, is wrap our wrap our, our minds and our uh, resources around this pandemic. I mean, I don't think people, unless you live in a community that is diverse or you live in a black or brown indigenous community around this country, you really don't understand the impact that this pandemic had, the disproportionate impact this pandemic had. You know, they talk about the essential workforce. The essential workforce are black and brown workers. The essential workforce is, is the indigenous workers. The essential workforce are single mothers and, and women out there. And that essential workforce literally put their lives on the line to keep us afloat when we were sinking. And we've got to protect and, and respect and, and honor that essential workforce by, by dealing with this pandemic because we can't continue to uh to rest on their courage and to and to and to rest on their work we've got to wrap our arms around this pandemic so our kids can go back to school i don't think people recognize the damage 
that remote learning has done to black and brown and indigenous children in this country. So we got to deal with that pandemic. We got to get kids back in school. Um, remote learning has been a, a, a failure across the country. In many instances, right here in the city of New York, you had tens of thousands of kids that once they logged, once uh, the Board of Ed the Department of Education logged off, so did they. They didn't remote learn. They didn't log in one time. And, and it's almost as if we've written off an entire uh, generation of kids. So the Biden plan, the reopen schools is promising and the pandemic plans, the economic plans. But I think the one thing, and I'll, and I'll let you have it back, that we need to keep our eye on is this infrastructure plan, this trillion dollars plus that they plan on spending mm -hmm. and how we can use that trillion dollars to leverage against intergenerational poverty, how we can use that trillion dollars to break um, the grip that poverty has on black, brown, and indigenous communities in this country. And if we close our eyes to that and just let them go about business as usual, this will be another opportunity that was missed that we could use the resources of this country to undo the damage this country has done to black, brown, and indigenous people throughout its history. And in that, in that um, development plan, um, in that infrastructure plan, um, I've read that there is a, a special focus on contracting with black contractors and black uh, businesses in that infrastructure plan. Um, is that what you mean when you talk about dealing, you know, with this the poverty issue? Is it just dealing with the companies or is it actually building and hiring within communities that are predominantly black? I think it's both. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's both dealing with expanding the capacity of our of our um, private sector, the black and brown indigenous private sector in this country. You know, there's a robust um, a sector of, of businesses that are run by uh, black, brown, and indigenous people, and they really have the opportunity to compete with uh, their white counterparts for contracts. This is an opportunity to do that, but it's also an opportunity to invest in the workforce. Right. Everybody ain't going to college. Every college isn't for everybody, but the future is coming nonetheless. And so we've got to empower the workforce. We've got to uh, uh, we've got to give them the tools and we've got to equip them for the economy of today and tomorrow. So in addition to access to contracts and procurement opportunities, we've also got to invest in the workforce of urban areas invest in the workforce uh, of uh, rural communities where we are seeing um, where we are seeing the economy have has been decimated um, you can go to uh, many of the, the the reservations around the country and you can see the sheer utter poverty that has overcome these communities um, and it's not just be, it's not because they don't uh, have our good ideas or they don't know how to execute or they don't have skills um, but they don't have the investment in the resources to take their company or their community to the next level. So, yeah, we got to empower uh, the, the corporate sector of our communities, but we also got to empower the workforce and give them the tools and the training. That means putting money into junior colleges. That means put um, retooling many of our high schools to deal with things like the green economy. Training, we shouldn't just be training our kids to um, you know, to to repair cars. Now we need to be training our kids to build uh, you know, uh, wind wind power plants and windmills and 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 um and and invest in their ability to engage 
the new economy, the sustainable green economy, the economy of the future. So it's it's both and it's the companies, but it's the communities. We got to empower both if we plan on breaking intergenerational poverty. Now, Laura, you was you was saying was was that you, Laura, when we was talking about Biden wanted to give uh, city community colleges free? Well, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. And well, if, he said if, that, yeah. And if that's a thing, I mean, I think it'll make a huge change because, you know, obviously city city colleges and community, I mean, I'm sorry, community colleges are not as expensive as a city college, but there's still people who cannot afford it and not everyone will get financial aid or is willing to go into those crazy financial aid webs where you get caught up with, with debt. You know what I mean? So I, I think that if that goes through, I think that will make a major change for our community. Now, Reverend Ford, when you're talking to the youth, right, we have a culture in America, unlike um, other nations around the globe, where, you know, it's very much like you could be what you want to be and you could you could do whatever you want to do. But the truth is, I mean, and you can. But the truth is, when you're talking about wealth building and you're talking about owning real estate and you're talking about these things, you know, isn't there some conversation that needs to be had around this is where the job opportunities are to generate a certain level of income and this is where the training is and we need to direct our kids towards that so that we can, so A, yes, so they can be prepared for the jobs in the economy of tomorrow, but also so that we can make sure that this money is being brought back to communities. There's it, it, no question about it. It's, um, look, it's critical that... Um, that we increase access points, right? We increase access points to affordable education, whether it be, you know, higher education, community-based colleges or, or city or state colleges. It's important that we increase access point to uh, educational opportunities. It's important we uh, increase access points to capital, right? Uh, it's one thing to get a contract. It's another thing to be able to execute on that contract. A lot of the times we see that our companies, they can compete, they can get a contract, but then they need investment in order to execute that contract. And the access to capital they have is limited. You know, banks ain't, the banks ain't um, all of a sudden wake up and love black business and all of a sudden wake up and, and decide they weren't going to be part of uh, a system of white supremacy. Um, the financial institution has to be restructured so that we have equal and increased access to capital investment. Uh, look, when you are dealing in America as a person of color, a black, brown, indigenous person in this co country, or as a woman in this country, you are running into systemic obstructions to your progress, right? Racism isn't just an idea. It's not just a feeling. It's a set of systems that are um, ingrained in our larger society and intended to block access for us specifically to capital to opportunity to education to infrastructure you know you can't you can't just ignore uh segregation and the legacy of it you can't ignore mass incarceration and the legacy of it you can't ignore insurance redlining you can't ignore these right. structural obstructions you gotta tear down these systems if you're gonna really allow for our uh, potential to manifest itself and to for the greater society to benefit off of everything we have to offer. America is hurting herself with racism. America is hurting herself True. by having these systems that are designed to keep us boxed out. So we got to tear down those systems, not just for us, but it's in the country's interest 
to tear down those systems, remove those institutional and structural barriers for uh, from our community so that we can really meet our full potential and America can really understand the strength and the power that she has in her people. That's such a great point, too, because let's be honest, Reverend, most people, most people of all backgrounds mostly care about their potential well-being. And so you make such a great point about America needing to understand that the the plight of black people in America essentially directly affects the plight of America as a nation. I don't think anyone thinks about it that simply. Um, you've been at this for a very long time. You've obviously seen ups and downs in terms of progress. What what do you hope to be able to see by the time it's all said and done for you? Like what what's a realistic goal that you could feel like? You know, we we made some real real progress that I feel good about. And when people like me can. Um... Uh, are put on the unemployment line when people like me don't have um, don't have the um, the uh, the intentionality that we we must have to protect our kids when we don't have to get up every morning and worry about whether or not a cop is going to shoot somebody or pepper spray a nine-year-old girl and, and and we don't have to worry about um, public housing blocking out our brothers and sisters because they happen to have um, uh, being subjected to, uh, uh, to the system of mass incarceration and just coming home from prison. Do you think when there's a chance you'll to... see any of these things, though? Do you think that's possible? You're da- you damn real. We're going to see it because we're seeing it already. We're seeing, look, when corporate America wakes up and recognizes it's in their interest to deconstruct these systems, mm-hmm. then we've made progress, right? Progress ain't you wake up overnight and you live in utopia. Right. Progress is you take one step, then you take another step, but you continue moving forward. And I believe we are on that march forward. I mean, we've been on that march forward since day one. The question is whether it's time to stop marching and start running. Mm -hmm. And this is the time that America needs to pick up her pace. We can't accept the, 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 the consistent delay. Right. We can't accept the consistent um, denial of of uh, progress that we can accomplish right now. Right now, we can do things like get rid of qualified immunity for police officers Mm -hmm. so that they have to face the consequences of their actions personally and that they don't don't have the opportunity to hide behind a city budget um, to, to exact their hatred and their racism. We could do that today. We can do other things today that um that don't have to be prolonged or protracted in the name of the body politic. Um, they've got the wind at their back, and the people are ready to support progress as aggressive as they as the leadership is ready to be. It's up to people like me to move the leadership into a more aggressive and assertive posture so that we're not dragging our feet. A lot of a lot of the, the critique of the movements of the past has been it's been too um accepting of um of incremental incrementalism. We can't accept incrementalism when we are literally dying by the thousands on a daily basis. So incrementalism has got to go out the door and we need to have real aggressive, assertive and affirmative leadership that said, let's seize every opportunity that we have to tear down systems now and not, not push those things off to tomorrow. So that is somebody else's problem. Let's make the hard decisions while the people are with us. And when the time comes, when the tide shifts, cause it will shift again as, as Ebro has accurately stated, every time we make 
a quantum leap forward. America, you know, tries to take the white a, mobs, a, a, the white domestic a, terrorist temper tantrums. They be throwing them. Uh, January 6th, right? That's January right. 6th was the biggest example that we have of that, bro. So you a thousand percent right. But it's that incrementalism that lays the groundwork and the foundation for something like um, a white supremacist insurrection to take place and to occur. And so we can't deal with that incrementalism anymore. Well, we and, that, and that's why, them. and that's why this uh, this disease still plagues the nation, is because of what you're talking about. All of these uh, small steps, and you know, celebrating these, um, you know, these, these, uh, this, you know, vanity, these vanity just for the look victories. You know what I mean? It's not real. There's not real actual accountability taking place where you have these white supremacists and the people that so hate and division in this nation, mostly against black and brown people and indigenous people, um, that they are actually being held accountable for their actions. And even right now, you see the government and too many people talking about we need to unify. We need to unify. We always unifying on the heels of y'all tripping. Word. Y'all start tripping and then tell us we supposed to be unified. Right. Well, I mean, look, they 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 consistently engage in their agenda on all levels, right? And we see that there's not something they're unwilling to do. There's not a place they're unwilling to go to hold on to their privilege and to hold on to their power. That's what that's what that violent insurrection was about. That's what these militia groups that are organized around the country are about. It's about maintaining these systems of privilege and oppression, right? And so they're willing to go where they need to go for it. Um, they need to recognize we're willing to go where we need to go for it. As violent as they're willing to be is as peaceful as we're willing to be, right? So if you if you recognize there's not you ain't got enough bullets to 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 gun us down you ain't got enough handcuffs to lock us all up when we out here defending our children when you know i just came back from rochester a couple of weeks ago nine-year-old girl pepper sprayed with her hands cuffed behind her back in the back seat of a squad car with the doors closed on her that was intended to to, to injure and to kill that nine-year-old girl when you have situations that exist like that and that's just that's not an anomaly when you have situations like that where they're willing to ch to kill your children, I, it, it was reminiscent to me of the four little girls that were bombed in the church mm -hmm. uh, during the civil rights movement. They're willing to kill our children. They got to understand we're willing to we're willing to to take all the bullets and all the handcuffs and all the trauma and all the violence y'all got to protect our children and to protect our future. And, and 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 it's this move, moment and in this movement that they are awakening to that thing and we're seeing them responding to it and the government has an obligation to stand up, empower us because the alternative to empowering our communities is allowing their communities to tear this country apart. And so there ain't no, America ain't got no more chances, right? This is her, this is really her last chance to get it right. The, the, the white supremacists and the militia and the nationalists, they ready to throw down right now. Right. So we need to seize this opportunity right now or America will lose it permanently. Mm. Well and said. it's uh, it's riddled inside the police departments, um, these individuals. The people who showed yes, up sir. January 6th were teachers, doctors, lawyers.
That's firemen, right. off-duty police officers, maybe even on duty, the ones that let them in, uh, military That's veterans, um, all walks of life, basically, shoulder to shoulder, uh, unified uh, with Confederate flags flying, beating up cops with, um, uh, what was it, what, what's that thing, the blue, the thin blue line flag, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the blue lives matter flag, so y'all really lying, because blue lives don't matter um, to you, and... Right. Um, and so it's 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 all within. Even we've had Commissioner Shea on. He probably won't come back on, but you know we <laughs> jammed him up about the white supremacists that are within the NYPD and what he plans yes, to do about it and how he's gonna you know. Was that uh, before deal or after their union endorsed Donald Trump? Yeah, that was before they the union endorsed Donald Trump. Mm. Um, yes, but uh, I'm reading over some of your your plans right now, um, and with the uh, the recent city and state laws aimed to address police brutality. And transparency. Do you like some of the uh, these incremental? Here we are again. Incremental moves that have taken place uh, from the mayor of the city and the governor of the state of New York. Uh, and what are the next steps here? Do I um, do I like them? I mean, it's better than nothing, but it's not what we need at this moment. Um, and we need more. Uh, I'd like to see officers face the consequences of, of their action. Um, in several ways, you know, you've got, you've got, um, criminal justice, you've got civil justice, you've got administrative justice. There, there's, there, there are a whole host of systems that really need to step up their, 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 their act when it comes to holding police accountable. So not only do cops need to be charged, those officers in, in Rochester should have been charged. Mm -hmm. They should have been charged for what they did to that nine-year-old baby. Um, the cops that killed Daniel Prue, we just found out they will not be charged. Daniel mm -hmm. Prue was the gentleman that was killed while he was having an emotional crisis. They put the bag over his head and all that. Put a bag over this man's head. He was butt naked. It was snowing. They laid him on the ground with a bag over his head and he died. Oh, big big surprise that that was the outcome of that situation. But they're, they're, the, the cops there um, won't face charges. We need cops thrown in jail. We need families to have the ability to sue officers, to take away the, their, their monetary protection. Um, we need to have the ability to, to, to um, hold them accountable on the job. You, you should be fired. You should not be sitting behind a desk collecting more, um, you know, uh, more checks from the taxpayers like, like Daniel Pantaleo, the cop that killed Eric Garner. Mm -hmm. He was richer when they got rid of him than he was at the moment that he killed Eric Garner. He had increased benefits. He had a, a he had a he had a raise. He had padded overtime. his overtime. He got more overtime than a lot of his counterparts. So when you reward cops for for killing black people, you know you got a busted up system. I met with Commissioner Shea a couple weeks ago. Myself, uh, uh my colleague Reverend McCall had a, a, a closed-door session with him. We laid all this stuff on the table. Hey, yo, bro, you cannot govern this city with batons. You cannot respond to peaceful protesters with, uh, with violent insurrection by your police officers and then turn around and act like, uh, like everything is okay with, a, with the police department. You can't, uh, Commissioner Shea, quite frankly, you shouldn't be the commissioner of this department. Right, like there were qualified black and brown people that were stepped over by this mayor to make you yep. the third 
white police commissioner un, on the, uh, under his watch, right? So, you know, you can't, we can't accept what y'all are giving us as progress because we might as well just let y'all police yourselves. You need to be thrown in jail when you violate our rights and injure us. You need to be held accountable in civil court and you need to lose your job and your benefits. There's no reason Daniel Pantaleo should be con- should be continuing to, to have a pension and to continue to, to enrich himself years after he killed Eric Garner on our dime. Black people with padding his pocket while he was out there running around saying, I was justified in murdering mm-hmm. this man. So that's those systems all have to be activated. They all got to step up and we need to have real leadership that's going to force them to do that. Um, before we wrap today, uh, we got a big situation happening in New York this year. Major elections from 50 city council seats, I think the number is. Uh, mayor, 51. what is it, 51? So there are 51 city council seats. Um, all of the city government is up for election, but uh, t- uh, some two-thirds of the city council is going to be brand new. People that have not been in government or in the city council before. Um, we're going to have a brand new mayor, a brand new city controller. Uh, we're going to have uh, probably a brand new speaker of the city council, brand new borough president in Manhattan. We're going to have a brand new district attorney. Um, and we're going to have, you know, all of this coming in at the same time in the midst of a crisis, a pandemic, in the midst of an economic crisis, in the midst of a racial uh, injustice crisis here in the city. We're going to have all these newcomers coming in and they're coming in in a system that's never been implemented before in the city, ranked choice voting. So there's a lot of confusion. Our community is not educated about ranked choice voting, about how to access and and really execute a ballot under ranked choice voting. It's a total new system. And the government, the city government is not investing the resources it's going to take to inform our community about how to really access this ballot and execute this ballot in a way that doesn't injure their voting franchise. There are 5.6 million registered voters in the city of New York, and a full 90% of them have never even heard of ranked choice voting. And that's the system that's about to be imposed on us to choose this brand new government. And so we got a lot coming down the pike. It shows like this show that's going to be critical in making sure that these systems don't continue to abuse us, that this new system of ranked choice voting doesn't take advantage of our uh, traumatized and and injured communities. Um, And it's going to be shows like this that hold these people accountable when they get uh, when they get into office. Um, It's going to be ever more critical. Um, Ebro in the morning is going to be an ever more critical platform because you got some newcomers coming in, New Jack, that don't know nothing about government, but they got all these lofty ideas. And then you got mm-hmm. uh, you got old Jack, old heads that came in under the old system, the old way of doing things, and the old way has failed us. So we're going to really rely, Ebro, on you, on, 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 on this platform, on organizations, civic organizations, to really protect our community from the encroachment of ignorance from these new systems and uh, to hold these um, new government, new jacks accountable when they come in there and they start, you know, wilding out and trying to, you know, take uh, take our city in a direction that it's not prepared to go or take our city backwards. So I appreciate this platform. I appreciate y'all leadership, but that's really what's at stake right now. It's a $85 billion budget 
that really should be controlled by the people that have paid the biggest price um, to keep this city going in the last year. And with this ranked choice voting, we are at risk of losing a lot of political capital that um, that our community accrued over the years of sacrifice and suffering in the city. So I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're talking about it. Everybody ain't focused on it. But this is a real critical election. This election will determine the future of New York City for generations to come. And we really need everybody on point. Well, and also, too, you know, it's a, it's a complicated conversation, right? Um, and you talked about incrementalism. And, you know, a lot of people rallied behind de Blasio when he first got in and he fell short and didn't get some things done that we want to see him get done. And we he didn't do some things that we all wanted him to do. Yes, uh, but there were things that, you know, stop and frisk and other things he went toe to toe with the police about. And there were some other things that took place that we did like. Um, but what's about to happen um, is the amount of money being spent by conservatives to spin what is going on with not solving the housing crisis, the pandemic, uh, and acting as if the NYPD was done some disservice when a billion dollars was taken away from them. Uh, and you know it's an inside job when we see these escalations in crime and slow response rates from police when they don't get their way. Um, so that's going to be spun and turned into rhetoric that is about more conservatism. And less progress. No and we have to be careful. It. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No question about it. We um we 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 saw the backlash against the defund movement around the country, right? We saw not just conservatives in the Republican Party, but we saw conservatives in the Democratic That's Party right. push, push back against that, saying it's gonna hurt us. And there's there's some statistical argument to be made that that maybe um, we're using messaging that's a little too aggressive for certain parts of the Democratic Party. Activists, shouldn't, re- activists shouldn't be coming up with messages for messaging for politicians. It's politicians' job to take the messaging of the people and turn it into something that could bring people together, not just co-opt activist messaging. A thousand percent. They, they was their, it was their failure to, 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 to do exactly what you just said that hurt the party. It wasn't our job is to push the envelope. We did our job. Your job is to take that momentum, translate it into something actionable and legislatable and keep it moving, like you're saying. And they failed to do that. And we're going to see that that backlash, the more aggressive we get on different policies, right? So you got defund the police, but you also got this movement in New York, you know, cancel, cancel rent, right? I don't know how legitimate it is, but it's the job of the legislature to say, all right, well, Cancel rent is the movement on the ground, but we need to come up with a legislative or a statutory um, allegory that that speaks to that 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 outcry from the people. Right. right. Um, we, we hear about, you know, the, you know, cancel student debt. Right. Well, I don't know how legitimate that is to the establishment, but on the street, that's what we hollering and screaming for. So it's your job to take that messaging and translate it into something governable and actionable and legislatable and if you don't do that that's not on us that's on y'all y'all that's what we hired you for we hired you to do that for that's what we talking about they work for us right and 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 they have to be responsive to what we demand of them and y'all got to figure it out it's not our job to tell you how to do your job it's your job 
to take what we are giving you, our instruction and our demands and our priorities and and act on them and implement them. And if you if you can't envision how to do that, you're clearly not the right person for the job in this time, in this place, in this moment. So you need to get out of the way. And I and and, and whether you agree with it or not is irrelevant. That's a, we ain't hire you to to validate us. We hired you to execute the agenda we are giving to you. So don't try to flip the script on this whole, like we, we owe you validation or we owe you comfort or we owe you, um, you know, the ability to, 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 to be flexible and, and politically nimble. Now that we don't owe you nothing. We hired you because uh, we need a job done. So you owe us and we're going to continue to push the envelope. And if you're not the right one, just, Acknowledge you're not the right one. There are plenty of professions that are in need of ambitious. <laughs> Don't be mad. UPS is hiring. Don't be mad. You worry. <laughs> I mean that, but that's the that's the reality on the street. They they are gonna wind up hurting the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, it's gonna wind up hurting itself by pushing back against the very people that that its successes are built on. Do you so? Who do you support for mayor candidate right now? Uh, my myself and my community. Uh, we have an agenda that we want to see them speak to, right? We, we got to really flip this script. They, they come and they say, well, here's my platform for mayor. And I say, you starting out wrong. You starting out wrong. You ain't got no platform for mayor. Sit down, take a seat, and take some notes. Here is your platform. <laughs> your platform is police reform. Your platform is investing in public housing. We got half a million people living in public housing in the city of New York, and it has been decimated, and it has been underfunded for generations. It's $45 billion worth of maintenance that needs to be done, capital investment. Here is your agenda. Uh, remote learning, you gotta reopen our schools, but you gotta make sure our kids are safe, our teachers are safe, our educators are safe. Your agenda is we need infrastructure investment in, in uh, Brownsville, in South Jamaica, Queens, in the Rockaways. We need infrastructure investment before you're laying new pavement for new people to come in, right? We see new infrastructure investment when the community starts to change its complexion. We need infrastructure investment when the community looks like the community already has looked for decades and generations. So here is your agenda. I like people that like me. I want to see somebody elected that's going to make sure we are at the table when decisions are being made about personnel, about uh, budgets, and about policy. I don't need you coming and telling me what you want to do. I know what you want to do. You want to run the city. I need somebody in there that's going to say, where does this city need to go to make sure that all of our communities are benefiting from it? You know, we uh, the, the Arc of Justice hosted, that's the organization I run, uh, a mayoral forum, and we had eight of the top mayoral candidates and I made the point of the imperial mayoralty is dead. We're not going to sit back and just let one person decide the fate and the future of our city anymore. They can't be trusted. So that bully pulpit is a little bit smaller now. And it's up to us to make sure that we are the table is bigger and the bully pulpit is smaller so that we all have a bigger, uh, a, a bigger voice and we all get a larger slice of the pie. And quite frankly, the way the city has been run, it's been... 
you know, one one strong personality after another strong personality after another strong personality. Because in New York, we like to see a fighter. We like to see somebody with strength. We don't want no punk running our city because we ain't no punk city. But we ain't no punk city, right? So don't be punking us. Don't be getting in there acting like we don't have a stake or we don't have a voice or we don't have any power because we hired you to do a job. That paradigm is dead. We, we're going to make sure it's dead. And anybody that wants our vote, anybody that wants access to our people and our resources and our institutions, y'all need to come with pen and paper in hand and be ready to take instruction, not just give dictation. And that has been the paradigm that we've lived under and it has failed us and we ain't doing that no more. His name is Reverend Kirsten John Foy. He's been working around New York City and New York State and the nation for a while. I appreciate all your work. I appreciate you coming on the program. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thanks, Reverend Foy. I appreciate y'all. Y'all have a blessed day and keep it moving. Keep pumping. There you go. You Look too, up man. the Ark of Justice and Reverend Kirsten John Foy. WQHT and WQHT HD1 New York. Ebro in the morning with Laura Stiles and Rosenberg. Hot 97.